You're tuned in to the Kojo Namdi show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. The pandemic has upended our lives, including our financial lives. People across the nation and in the Washington region have lost their jobs and their businesses or face furloughs and uncertain prospects. Others continue to enjoy a steady income and the opportunity to invest and donate to favorite causes. But even as the pandemic has changed our finances, some things haven't changed. Taxes, rent, and mortgage payments are still coming due. This year's end is a good time to get your financial house in order and to set smart money goals for the coming year. It can be a daunting task, but we've got expert help today. Joining us to help improve our personal balance sheets is Sandy Block, senior editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance and was previously a reporter and personal finance columnist at USA Today. Sandy, good to talk to you again. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kojo. Also joining us is Michelle Singletary, syndicated personal finance columnist for The Washington Post. She also shares her expertise about personal finance in her best-selling books on the radio and on television. Michelle, welcome back. I'm so glad to be here again. Michelle Singletary, it's holiday time and some people are really suffering financially. You are always coaching, encouraging people to live within their means. What does that look like? Well, you know, whatever you earn, you try to spend less. And I know that seems crazy for people right now because they're like, I don't have a job. But when you do, if you're still working, whatever you make, you have to be sure that you're not spending every penny that you bring into the house. And so this year, um, particularly for those who have less income or have lost their job, you know, it's going to be a lean Christmas and it or holiday, whatever you celebrate. Uh, and, and that's okay. You have to be okay with that. Um, because otherwise you will end up spending money that you just can't afford. Well, how can people celebrate without making their money situation worse? Well, you know, um, I, I actually, for the longest time, my family and I have tried to practice like less is more. And so spending time with folks now, of course, that's more difficult with the pandemic, but you can call your family members, you can talk to them, write them letters, might not get there for a couple weeks (laughs) with what's going on with the post office, but that's okay too. We, you know, for the longest time, we really have uh, got into this habit that the only way to show your love or, or affection is through buying something at a store. And that's just not true. The thing that we have this most precious is our presence rather than the presence and our time with people. Michelle, the desire to give gifts at holiday time can be very strong, and many people buy for others because, well, they're ashamed not to, even when they really can't afford it. What's your advice to those folks? Uh, <laughs> this is, I've been trying to do this for years, so I, I've not been very successful uh, because we just we have a culture of consumerism. You know, um, it was so funny. I don't know if you saw it, Kojo, on SNL Live. They had, um, on SNL on, on Saturday, had this skit where his wife and husband were celebrating the holidays. And he, she opened up the Christmas box and it was keys to Alexis. And, like, they, you've seen these commercials all the time, right? <laughs> yep. And so she goes outside and she's like, what's wrong with you? Why would you <laughs> buy me a car? You didn't even talk to me about it. And I just hooped and hollered. Because that's kind of what we, you know, buy your person a car and put a big bow on it in the driveway. Are you nuts? Uh, So it's really hard to fight against that marketing machine that says this is how you express love. But you have to fight against it. And the way I try to tell people is what are some of your fondest memories? And most of the time, 
It is not from a gift. It was some time someone sent, spent to you. It's a call that you got just mm-hmm. at your lowest moment in life. That's what you remember down the road. Not, I mean, most of us can't even remember what we got two Christmases ago, right? Um, and you've got, you just have to sort of dig into your heart and say, okay, I'm going to be okay and they are going to be okay if I don't buy something. Sandy Block, you have said that there are two economies during the pandemic, one for people who kept their jobs and one for people who have lost theirs. Can you describe these different financial realities? Yeah, it's it's really stark, Kojo, because what we've seen is that the American savings rate, the percentage of money that Americans have left after they've paid their bills every month, is the highest it's been in years and years. And that's reflecting people who manage to keep their jobs because they're home. They're not doing anything. They're not, you know, traveling. They're not shopping. They're not going out to eat. So they're saving that money. And, and one of the interesting takeaways of that is that that is a good way as Michelle says, for people to learn about what they really need. You know, it's a good way to evaluate. How much do you really miss those things that you didn't spend money on? But the other side of that, obviously, is we see in the news every day, people in very long food lines, people who are worried about losing their homes or being evicted, people who have been out of work for months and now are facing the prospect that their unemployment benefits are going to stop too. So we have two very starkly different economies, and obviously people have different um, resolutions for how they're going to deal with these things. Sandy, no matter one's financial or job situation, the end of the year means we should be doing some financial house cleaning. Let's start with charitable donations. If you gave to charity, what tax benefits can you claim? Well, that's something special this year. And and sort of to Michelle's point about, you know, not giving gifts, maybe this is a good way to honor people by giving money to charity if you have to give. And one of the provisions in the CARES Act that was enacted last spring to stimulate the economy was to permit anybody to deduct up to $300 in cash charitable contributions. In the past, you had to itemize to deduct your charitable contributions. Hardly anyone does that anymore because the standard deduction is so large. So certainly, I mean, you should give money to charity because it's the right thing to do. But if you do it this year, definitely keep good records because you will be able to deduct up to $300 in contributions when you file your taxes next year. Michelle Singletary, you and your family give a significant amount of your earnings to charity each year. Why? Well, um, because we want to invest in our community. My husband and I belong to a large church in the uh, Prince George's County, and we tithe 10% of our income, gross, not net, every year, have some for, for many years now. And that's because our church um, is the community. We have food drives. We have substance abuse programs. We have programs to help people strengthen their marriage. We have youth programs. So all of that is an investment in my community, which is, you know, directly impacts me. A healthier community, a stronger community means that it's a safer place. We, you know, happier people. And so I'm happy. We we give before we even pay our mortgage. That's That's how much we prioritize our uh, giving. Sandy Block, what about insurance? Do we need to pay attention to our car or other insurance at this point? Yes. And, and again, going back to this issue of people who have you know been able to save more, um, that's a good way to put that money that you've been saving to work, to make sure that you are adequately covered. And that includes everything from your homeowner's to your car, to your health insurance, um, all of those things. And, and if you have dependents, 
um, and you haven't bought life insurance, this is a good time to do that. So, you know, you go, you're going to want to look across the board. And the other thing you want to see is how your insurance needs may have changed. If you're working from home, that could affect your homeowner's insurance. A lot of people got discounts this year because they're not driving to work anymore. Um, and if you didn't get one, maybe you should ask for one. Um, so there's definitely across the board, that's a kind of a, not, not necessarily something you have to do by December 31st, but a good housekeeping thing to look at this time of year. Here is Arnaldo in Herndon, Virginia. Arnaldo, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Coach. I just wanted to make a, a quick note on that. Uh, I definitely was able to get a discount on my insurance by almost $1,000, uh, and I kept begging my company to do it during the pandemic, but they wouldn't. So I switched, and the discount was about 900 something dollars and it's going to save me a lot of money, especially having lost my full-time job at a restaurant and my part-time job at a movie theater. Uh, you, you know, those are not coming back sometime soon and definitely saving anywhere you can this season, buying only what is necessary, especially for kids during the winter uh, over any luxury items is definitely more important. Thank you. Thank you very much for making that point. You must have been reading Sandy Block. Sandy, what about, what about health care? Are there any end of year moves that we would be wise to make? The most important one is if you have a flexible savings account for health care, which many people do if they're working. Um, depending on your employer's rules, you may have to exhaust that account by December 31st or forfeit what's left in it. Some employers let you carry over some, but some don't. So it's very important if there is a clock ticking that you spend that money. Fortunately, there are many things that you can use that money for um, out-of-pocket expenses, and the CARES Act extended those. It, it, now you can use it for non-prescription drugs, so things like, you know, pain, ty Tylenol, um, cough medicine, things like that. And this year, um, the CARES Act also extended it to include feminine hygiene products, which cost a lot of money. So I have done this. I've made late-night trips to Walgreens with a list of things that I knew were covered by my Flex account because what you don't use, you lose. So this is really something important that you should do by the end of the year. And the other thing you should look at is if you have a high deductible health care plan, and many people do, and you've exhausted your deductible, you're going to want to you know, make some doctor's appointments between now and the end of the year before you start over again. Um, because anything that you start next year um, will apply to your new deductible. So, you know, to the extent that you can get a doctor's appointment, that your doctor's still seeing things, you might want to get those things done, too. Same thing with dental work. Michelle, let's talk taxes. You recently wrote a column entitled, The 2020 Tax Year is Going to Be a Hot Mess and the Coronavirus is Why. Why is it going to be a hot mess and what people can do, what can people do to make it less messy for themselves? We only have about a minute left in this segment. Okay. Well, I think the biggest one is that lots of people will still qualify for the stimulus check and they don't know that. Um, if you, uh, the IRS used people's 2018 and 2019 return. And so many people didn't qualify based on those returns, but in 2020, they may have lost their job or had less income. And so they will be able to claim that credit. So it, it's going to be a challenge to get that information out to a lot of people who may not know that. 
We're talking with Michelle Singletary, syndicated personal finance columnist for the Washington Post, and Sandy Block, senior editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance, previously a reporter and personal finance columnist at USA Today, and taking your calls at 800-433-8850. Have you ever met with a financial advisor? Send us a tweet at Kojo or email to kojo.org. I'm Kojo Namdi. Welcome back. We're talking about managing your money during a pandemic with Michelle Singletary and Sandy Block. I'm taking your calls at 800-433-8850. Here now is Laura in Westminster, Maryland. Laura, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Um, I'm calling because I have a comment and a question. My comment was about giving Christmas presents to people. Um, And I... With the, you know, there are things you can give to people that doesn't require purchasing anything. Like you can say that you would clean their room for them, or you would clean their car for them, or you would bake a cake for something. Um, sure. Makes uh, absolute so, sense. And then, my, then my question was, is if, um, if you're in your mid-50s and you don't really have any savings or retirement, what can you do to try to uh, be more secure when you have to retire? I'm going to double team this one. I'll start with you, Michelle Singletary. Yes. Can um. So, are you still on the line? Yes, she's I still am. there. Okay. So, do you uh, do, are you working? Do you have a company that provides a four hundred one k or four three b or something like that? No, I have two part time jobs, neither of which have any benefits. Okay. So you can still save for retirement in a traditional IRA. Um, up to $6,000 a year. And then if you're over 50, um, you get to put in an extra 1000 Now, I know if you're piecing together two jobs, that may not you may not seem possible, but just try to save as much as you possibly can and do it automatically. Even if right now, while we're in this downturn, it's just $25 a month or $100 a month. That's where you start to begin. And then, you know, if you don't have any savings, um, you just rethink your retirement a little bit. Maybe you're not going to be able to retire. Maybe say you thought you might be retired at 65. Maybe you'll work a little longer. Um, think about where you're going to live. If you have a home, um, perhaps you can do some shared housing arrangement where you have someone come in and live with you or you go live with someone else. So it's still possible to retire. It's not all over for you. You're just going to have to rethink your plan that might not be a traditional retirement where you have a pension and you've got a big fat, you know, uh, investment account. Care to add anything, Sandy Block? Yeah, the thing I would suggest is for a lot of folks like Lauren, they're going to end up relying on Social Security for almost all of their retirement income. And what I would encourage, if, if at all possible, is to delay claiming Social Security as fast as much as possible. We're going to see a bunch of people filing at age 62, which is the earliest that you can do it right now because so many people are out of work. But when you claim at 62, you get up to a permanent 30 percent reduction in your lifetime benefits. So the longer that you can keep working and postpone taking benefits, the more benefits you will receive when you do claim. And I suspect for people like Lauren, Social Security is going to be a huge part of your retirement income. So you want to get the most out of it that you can. Sandy Block, what are some things that people who have lost their incomes can do to get by? 
Well, we we did a story a while back that it's still pretty current about you know sources of cash basically, um, and and there's there's quite a few things that you can do. Um, one thing that we have seen that's going on that. We, I hope people don't have to do is, you know, taking withdrawals from their retirement savings, because not only can that create a tax bill, but it puts a permanent debt in your security. So some things you should look at if you're over 62 and you own a home, you might be eligible for a reverse mortgage line of credit. If you have a Roth IRA, um, again, I don't encourage this, but this is good emergency funds. You can always take out the amount that you put in your contributions with no taxes or penalties. So Roth IRA can sort of act as a backdoor emergency fund. If you have taxable accounts, you can um, take money out of that. Um, you'll pay taxes on it, but no penalties. Uh, if you have a 401k and you're still working, you could take out a 401k loan. That's not as damaging as a 401k withdrawal. And the CARES Act actually increased the amount that you can take out and gives you more time to pay it, pay it back. Again, that can really you know, hinder your savings. But if you're looking at you know, foreclosure or any groceries, then you do what you got to do. Um, is, the last thing I'll mention is a home equity line of credit. If you own your home, interest rates are very low. That can be a very attractive way to get some extra money. Is it ever wise, Sandy, to tap into retirement funds? It's never wise, but sometimes it's necessary. I mean, sometimes I, people I know who have done it had no choice. They literally were looking at keeping a roof over their head. Now, the CARES Act, this is going to end soon, December 31st, but the CARES Act actually puts makes it a little, if you have to take a hardship withdrawal from your 401k, your IRA, it gives you three years to put money back in the account and avoid paying taxes on it. So as a, you know, as a break glass emergency, this isn't as bad as it used to be. So I would say you don't do it. You don't do it for a vacation. You do it because you have no other options. And I wish Mariette in Virginia would call us back because my next question to Michelle Singletary might be of assistance to you. I think Mariette dropped off the line. Please call us back at 800-433-8850. Michelle, there's another way to get access to money quickly, and that's by using your credit card. Readers of your column know you have some very strong feelings about this. What do you think of about using credit cards to get through lean times? Well, yeah, people who know me know that I hate debt with a passion. I always joke that if debt was a person, I'd slap it. So (laughs) it is not a friend, no matter what kind of debt it is, whether it's a credit card or a home loan. But um, here's the thing. And I think Sandy um, talked about it um, in terms of the order of how you should look for money. Um, Payday loans and credit cards are sort of at the bottom because the thing is, when you make when you take that money off your credit card, it's going to be at a high interest, most likely seventeen percent on average, um, and certainly don't don't do a cash advance. That's just just crazy. But I understand that if you've got to buy groceries, that you might use your credit card. Um, These are extraordinary times. And I'm not wagging my finger at anybody right now if that's what you feel you have to do. But just take or charge only what you need. So if you're using it at the grocery store, just just barely what you need um, to, to to support and feed your family. Um, Don't take any extra cushion, just step by step each month, even if you're taking money out of your retirement account, only take what you need at that moment um, to get by. And then if you can still make the minimum 
uh, payments. Do that. And then when we come out of this pandemic-related um, recession, you know, both uh, the Kiplinger Magazine and Washington Post, all of our articles, we'll just, we're going to be helping people rebuild after this is over. So in a crisis mode, you got to do what you have to do and then worry about the impact later. And there are ways to recover from overusing credit. Well, Michelle Marietta, who I asked to call back from Virginia call, but couldn't stay on the line. However, she says, I went to school in my 30s. I ran up some debt. I rolled it from credit card to credit card until I paid it all off without interest. How do you do that? Well, she probably rolled cards. You know, you can do balance transfers, so she probably did that quite a bit. If you have good credit, you can do that. So you roll it over, and there's no interest, and it gives you a time, 18 months, sometimes two years. Um, I thought I haven't seen any for that long, but um, a year to 18 months is typical, um, where you don't have to pay the interest, and that means everything that you pay goes towards the principal. That is a strategy that I've recommended for some people to use. Here now is Susan in Washington, D.C. Susan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I have wondered what type of financial advisor should uh, someone use? So someone who takes a flat fee, someone who takes no fee, if that exists, someone who takes more money when you make more money. I've just been so dubious to sign up with anyone because I don't know what's proper. Sandy Block, what would you advise? Well, it's interesting. I did a story about this not too long ago, and there is the um, financial planning groups say that they've had a huge increase in people inquiring about financial planning because during this pandemic. Um, I would say what we like are fee-only advisors, advisors who basically either charge you by, for, for most people, it's, it's probably works better by the hour when it's a percentage of your assets. You have to have a lot of assets for that to work. What, what's questionable is an advisor who claims he's free or she's free, but basically takes a commission because basically that individual has a huge incentive to recommend products that will pay them, not necessarily benefit you. So you want to look for a fee-based advisor. They're not always hard, easy to find, but there are more um, models out there. There are planners who are actually offering sort of Netflix-type services okay. where you get a subscription. Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Still taking your calls at 800-433-8850. Have you ever met with a financial advisor? I'm Kojo Namdi. Welcome back. We're talking about managing your money during a pandemic with Sandy Block and Michelle Singletary. And just before we took that break, I read a note from Mariette in Virginia who couldn't stay on the line, but somehow Mariette has managed to call us to speak for herself about how she did that using credit card to credit card. Mariette, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. What did you exactly do? Hi. Good morning. So I went back to nursing school as an adult and I had a child. And I got in some debt um, while I was finishing my nursing degree. And 0% credit cards were offered at the time. So I, but they only give you three months or six months. And then before that time period would run out, I would move it to another 0% credit card. And I did that for about two and a half years until I paid off my debt. Well, that's exactly what Michelle Singletary figured that you had done, and apparently you were able to do it successfully. So thanks for sharing your story with us. 
Sandy Block, you recently participated in a discussion with other personal finance, finance experts where you suggested fun and useful things you can do without spending a dime. Can you share some of those with us? Sure, there, there's a ton of things. Um, we, we had a story. Um, there are things like one, one was uh, Yoga with Adrian, which offers free online yoga classes. One of my favorite ones, um, and I double-checked to make sure these were still available before we got on the air, um, the Metropolitan Opera offers a live in HD series. You can stream entire operas every night, which I think is a really cool thing to do if you're sitting home and, and that's your thing. Um, there's And then there are a bunch of... Now, you got to be careful with these because oftentimes they're introductory offers and then you have to pay. But as long as you mark on your calendar, you can get, you know, Peloton, Peloton offers 90 days of free access to its exercise app, which usually costs $13 a month. There's a bunch of sports ones and there's a lot of really interesting books. Um, you can join the Barnes and Nobles um, book club. There, there's free content, excuse me, free content on Kindle's reading app. Um, so there's a, and, and also some free audiobooks on uh, Audible. So there's a lot of free stuff out there to do. Michelle, can you add any free things to that list? <laughs> Walking in the park, you know, <laughs> sitting down, talking to your people. I mean, seriously, think about what's happened through this pandemic. And all of a sudden we had to hit pause and people had to actually talk to the people within their house. Um, you know, you're not walking past each other or rushing to some event or some sporting outing or, or all the things that kept us busy. But the simple act of talking, playing board games, my family and I love playing games. So we have a closet full of games and we just pull out and we play cards and we play Pictionary. I mean, just the things that help bond you with folks. You know, the, um, again, time is the most precious thing that we have and it's really priceless. Um, and those are the memories, folks, that that you will take to your grave. The, you know, when you're gasping for your last breath you're not gonna be thinking about that apple watch you're gonna think about that your 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 kids brought the grandkids over and you made cookies in the kitchen and they just were giggling and laughing that is what is important um and i'm not saying don't buy people i'm not a giver i'm that's not my love language um if you invite me to my wedding i'm bringing anything my presence is your present so i yeah so you have to understand that about me but what i'm trying to tell you is someone who didn't grow up with her parents who was raised by her grandmother who didn't have a lot of those bonds. That is the memories that I've tried to create with my children. And my husband and I still work. We still can afford stuff. But we intentionally did not do that because we wanted our children to know that you can celebrate life's moments, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, without gifts. We still give, but we wanted to set a situation in which they knew that just being in the presence of other people is a gift. And I like to say that if you didn't invite me to your wedding or anniversary celebration, I know it's because you forgot, so I'm showing up anyway. So here is Ruth in Friendship Heights. Ruth, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Uh, you guys wanted an example of someone who paid off a lot of debt? Well, um, it was a while ago, but when I graduated from law school, I had $70,000 of student loans, and it was a lot. Mm -hmm. But it was a school where I knew I was going to have access to a lot of very, very um, well-paying jobs, and I just decided to attack it 100%. And the main thing that I did was pretend that I didn't have that job. 
um, a lot of my colleagues were like, well, hey, I'm, I'm this really impressive associate at a big New York law firm. I should be able to go on really fancy vacations and buy all these clothes and buy myself jewelry and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I, I can't do that. I've got this like friend next to me that just has to be tackled first. So it took, it took three years of being really, really, really disciplined, but I, I got rid of all of it. Sound like Michelle Singletary's kind of person, correct, Michelle? Oh, yeah, I love him. I'm <laughs> loving you, Ruth. I'm telling you, you're a member of my family now. <laughs> exactly right, Ruth. Thank you for sharing your story with us. LaShonda emails, my husband and I are old parents in our late 40s with a six-year-old. What would you suggest for those who will hit retirement age when their children start college? How do we save for both? Sandy Block? Well, first of all, you want to put saving for retirement first. Um, And this is something we say all the time, and I'm sure Michelle says too, you can borrow for college, you can't borrow for retirement. So I hear so many people saying, you know, putting retirement saving on pause so they can put their kids through a great school. And it's just a terrible mistake because you'll end up living with your kids if you do that. So first of all, prioritize saving for retirement. Second, even if you're in your 40s, you have time, you have, you know, you've got a good 10, 15, 20 years um, start putting money in a 529 college savings plan now. Mm-hmm. Even if you put in $100 a month, you've got time for that money to grow. And then basically you're going to have to have, and Michelle has talked about this a lot, you have to have a tough conversation with your child when college comes. This is what we can afford. Um, you know, this, you don't go to your dream college. You go to the college that we can afford. Um, and here's how much we can afford to pay. And this is basically how we'll make it work. Um, I think that's, it, it can be done and people do do it all the time. Um, what they don't, what they do wrong is let the child pick the college and then borrow to make it happen. And I think that's what causes people to get into a lot of trouble. Thank you for your call. Here is James in Beltsville, Maryland. James, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Merry Christmas. Happy <laughs> holidays to you, too. <laughs> well, you were asking about um, saving and, and paying credit cards off. The way I got my credit cards paid off was I could always scrape up money to make a payment, but then when I got my bill, I was always more in debt. And I, was, I stopped and I was like, wait a minute, I got to pay attention to what I'm spending on a credit card. So I've created a, an Excel spreadsheet that looks like a register and a checkbook, and I started keeping up with every penny that I was spending. And then I saw that I would make a payment for 400 and then spend 700 <laughs> Mm-hmm. So keeping up with what I was spending on the credit cards held me down for, you know, spending more money on them and it allowed me to pay them off. As far as savings goes, I started with the lowest amount that um, I could contribute to uh, 401k. And every year that I got a pay raise, I would either put the entire pay raise in the 401k or a portion of it in the 401k. And before you knew it, I was at 10 percent. Yep. Michelle so Sanctuary. Care to comment? No, I think that's I think that's a great two things he said. Paying attention, um, I would say that if you're trying to pay off credit card debt, you shouldn't be using that credit card at all. Period. Mm-hmm. Put it away until you get rid of that debt. If you're rolling debt from month to month, then you're mm-hmm. in trouble. Uh, and I loved his strategy for you know increasing his retirement savings. If you do it incrementally like that, one percent or two percent, it doesn't have as much impact in your daily spending because you're already used to your old salary without the raise 
increase or the, you know, you get a new job, you get a raise, just keep spending as if you don't have that money. And I think um, Ruth mentioned that when she said she was paying off the student loan debt. And one thing um, when Sandy was talking about uh, saving for retirement versus college, be sure you do not just hear part of what she said, because people hear, you know, prioritize retirement over college savings, and then they only do one. You Mm. must do both. And in order to do both, that means that you're going to have to downsize your lifestyle. Um, But it is a game changer for your children if you can send them to college without any debt. My husband and I did that. We downsized our life for most of our career, and we saved for all three of our children to go to college debt-free and graduate school, I might add, at least for one of them so far. And by that, and we put it all in a 529 plan and we did just what Sandy said when they came with those crazy schools that they wanted to go to. I'm like, "Mm -mm, (laughs) we don't have money for that school. This is the money we had for it. We did not let them pick their school. They're 18 years old. They don't know anything. (laughs) Michelle writes, in a panic back in April when the stock market was going down as a result of COVID, I withdrew $200,000. I realized that was not a wise move the next day and returned $100,000 that was allowed. Is it possible to return the other $100,000 without tax implications? My husband and I are over 60. Sandy Block? I I, I assume she's talking about, it it depends on, she she didn't say specifically where she took that money out of. She took it out of her retirement, like her 401k. Yes. Um, if, If it was a hardship withdrawal, under these new rules, she might be able to put it back. Um, but if she just took a withdrawal under the old rules, I don't think she can do that. And I think what she's just going to have to do is increase her contributions. Um, but she's going, she, this is someone I think needs to talk to a tax pro. Because if she took $100,000 out of her 401k plan, she's going to have a very big tax bill come this spring. And she needs to be prepared for that. Here now is Jamal in Alexandria, Virginia. Jamal, your turn. Thank you so much. Great discussion. And I love the articles Michelle has been doing recently in the Washington Post, uh, just great articles. But uh, as, a, as a source of funds, uh, we use uh, cash value uh, from our whole life insurance policies for big ticket items. So before someone taps, uh, goes into their 401k or their retirement funds, um, don't forget about whole life insurance policies they might have. What do you say, Michelle? I might ask Sandy to jump in on this as well because they know the Kiplinger does a lot of this reporting. I'm not okay. a fan of those type of insurance policies. I think they work for some people, people who have a lot of money, um, but they often tend to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And I personally don't like mixing insurance needs with investment needs. Um, so I keep those things separate. And the way to have a cash pot is to save. It's the same thing without having to pay all those fees for um, a cash whole life policy. That's just my opinion, Sandy. Sandy. (laughs) We're not fans of them either, but what we've discovered through the years is that a lot of our readers really do have these policies. And if you have one, it is a really good source. Uh, If you've got a cash value, you can take that money out. Um, And it is a good source of cash. And it's a lot less, you know, you're not going to have a big tax bill. You're not going to put a permanent debt in your 401k plan. So if you happen to have one of these and you've had one for a long time, Um, Where I've seen this really work is people in their 50s and 60s. It is a good source of of basically, you know, cash without regrets. So I don't recommend that people buy them. But if they've got them and they need the money, um, I say go for it. 
Sandy, for those who have lost their jobs or for other reasons are having trouble making ends meet, can they count on relief from the federal government in the near future? We are waiting to see that. That's being, I think that's probably being negotiated as we speak, Kojo. Um, my understanding is the bill that was being discussed last night would extend unemployment benefits, add $300, um, and push it forward. So I think that that's still being talked about. Um, obviously, it's very critical. A lot of people are, you know, coming up against a very hard deadline uh, the end of this year. The other thing that's being discussed is extending a moratorium on evictions and um, possibly even extending uh, the we've basically given people a break on federal student loan payments, extending that maybe until next year, uh, maybe next May or something like that. So there is relief being discussed, but it is, you know, it's tough to say. I'm I'm not a political reporter. It's tough to say how that's going to come out. Michelle Singletary, let's talk rainy day funds. As it became clear that this pandemic and its economic fallout would linger, many people wished they had more savings. Ideally, how much should people set aside for a rainy day? Yeah, um, I, I, let me talk about that in two groups of people. There are people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And so I get that you can't have a huge emergency fund set aside. Just try to have something, even if it's just a couple of hundred dollars to that can buy you groceries for a couple of weeks. So that's those folks. And when they earn more, let's talk about them as I'm going to talk about the second group. Second group of people, and this is the hardest group of people to get to save. They have income coming in. They have plenty to save, but they aren't. It is harder for me to get people to save when they are doing well because they think the times are always going to be good. But you need to have saved at least three to six months worth of living expenses in an emergency fund. And that's all the money it takes to run your household for three at a minimum months. That's not just your rent or mortgage and the car payment and utilities. That's everything, cable, gas, food, everything. Because uh, experience has shown me that it usually takes people a couple of months before they start to cut expenses if they have a disruption in their income. So that's why it's the three months because you're in denial and you're not going to really cut the way you should. Most people don't. If you are a highly paid individual, you should err on the side of six months to a year. During the Great Recession, um, when you looked at some of the data, it took highly compensated people up to 18 months to, t- uh, to two years to find a job that had that same income level. And so at that income level, you've got expenses at that income level. Your house is probably based, your mortgage is based on what you were making before. So you want to err on the side of having more rather than less. That's a lot of money sitting in a bank account. I know people like, what? But you, and you need to let it sit there. You don't invest that money. That money's role is to be there when the storm comes. And the storm can come quickly or it can come slowly, but it's going to come. This pandemic has been extraordinary and bad. But guess what, folks? There's going to be another economic downturn. And we don't know when, but there will be one. And this is the time once you get past this, if you had a disruption in your income. But if you didn't, you need to be saving and paying down debt. Those are the two things that are saving a lot of people right now. They didn't carry a lot of debt into this pandemic, and they had savings. Here now is Amy in Washington, D.C. Amy, your turn. Hi, thanks so much. Um, I really appreciate this. I have a question, um, actually somewhat for me, somewhat for someone else who's asked me for assistance. Um, he has about $40,000 of debt on a credit card, two credit cards, and she's been paying a thousand a month, but cannot get the, the amount down. She's not a high paid worker. She is a home health worker. 
And I was thinking about trying to help her get something with debt consolidation because I think that they can decrease the amount of the loan. But those places kind of scare me. And I don't know what might be the best option for her. Thanks. Sandy Block, debt, debt consolidation? Yeah, I see her... her um Reluctance is uh, valid because there are a lot of really sketchy outfits out there that claim they can make your debt go away or something like that. So she should be what she should do is um, meet with a an accredited credit counselor. Um, National Foundation of Credit Counseling um, could sit her down with somebody who, you know, these are nonprofits who basically help people restructure their debt and work with their creditors to come up with payment plans that they can afford um, and possibly even consider, you know, if, if this woman is, is making, you know, a very low wage and has this much debt, you know, whether she would want to consider even filing for bankruptcy. I think a credit counselor could help her work through that. But this, these are, you know, you can go to nfcc.org to find someone. Don't call someone that you hear advertising late night TV because oftentimes those places will just take a big fee and leave you worse off than you started. Thank you for your call, and good luck to you, Amy. Steve emails, I have heard that keeping a large mortgage balance immunizes you from foreclosure. Is this correct, Michelle Singletary? Um, I've never heard that before. <laughs> no, 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 have I. I mean, I, mean, I guess the premise is that the more you owe the bank, the more likely they're going to work with you. Well, that didn't work in the Great Recession. So, no, I think that you borrow just about as much that you need to pay that is within your budget. Um, I recommend, with because I work with a lot of people through my church, um, about 30 percent, um, 30 to 36 percent of your net pay for housing, including taxes and stuff. Once you get beyond that, it becomes difficult to save um, for retirement or send your kids to college. And so how big your mortgage should be determined on what you can afford, not some theory that the banks are going to work with you. Um, That just that has not been my experience in dealing with people. Here is Eileen in Alexandria, Virginia. Eileen, your turn. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question about long term health insurance. I'm 76. I've had it for about 20 years. I'm in good health at this point. But my premiums are now $3,600 a year, and I'm finding it difficult to pay them. I hate giving it up because I lose all the money I've put in and protection, but I don't know what to do. The eternal dilemma of long-term care insurance. Sandy Block? Um, Yeah, this is a very common problem. And actually, the insurance companies almost bank on a certain number of people backing out. You don't want to do that. What you want to look at is whether you can negotiate maybe a lower benefit. Maybe if if your coverage is uh, for a certain amount per day, you might be able to lower the premium by lowering the amount per day that it covers or increasing the period until it kicks in. Maybe it kicks in after 30 days. See what happens if you increase it to 90 days or more so you can keep that policy and continue to afford it because you don't, I mean, if you're in your 70s, you may be using it in a few years. And if you stop paying it, all that money is lost. So that's your last worst case scenario. Shar is back and sounding better. I understand this time. Shar, go ahead, please. Okay. Um, one, any advice for refinancing? Um, I am shopping around. Um, two, I have four different retirement accounts. Only one is a Roth, and that's a Roth IRA. So I have a three or so others from different employers. One is really good, and uh, it's from TIA Craft, and they've told me don't do anything with it. This is a really good, um, you know, whole situation. 
Um, but I want what I want to do is avoid paying taxes when I retire and take out the funds. So how what what's best in terms of um, especially since they're from different companies across the board. My current and my and then my current one is a so it's a fourth or fifth retirement um, account and that is a tax deferred annuity and I've never had one of those before. Um, so how can I best convert them to basically like a Roth 401k, a Roth 403b from different mm. companies? Yeah, and then any advice for refinancing? And then just a quick comment in terms of savings um, or paying down debt, I really like to automate. Uh, I really appreciate the other callers' comments too. And then one thing I did was um, get a loan from Lending Club because I have good credit and was able to pay down um, some credit card debt that I went into um, really quickly in like two years. And then right now I've paid off that loan, that amount of the loan, which was a lower interest rate than my credit card. And um, I just pretend as though I'm still making that payment and, and, you know, just save it. There's a lot there, Sandy Block and Michelle Singletary. <laughs> what, what, strike, what strikes you about it first, Sandy? Well, I think for the various retirement accounts, your choice is you either convert the to a Roth now and pay taxes or wait until you retire and pay taxes later. There's no, you will pay taxes. You can't avoid paying taxes. It's just now or later. At some point, you may want to consolidate them um, because you, it, it just makes things easier. Um, I worry about people with a lot of orphan 401k plans out there that they're not keeping track of. But um, you might want to talk to a planner about this just convert enough. Remember when you convert, you have to pay taxes on it. So you don't want to convert so much that you push yourself into a higher tax bracket. Okay. You, you know, t- this takes okay. a lot of planning. Fred, that's all the time we have. Sandy Block is senior editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance. Sandy Block, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. Michelle Singletary is the syndicated personal finance columnist for the Washington Post. Michelle, same. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Today's show about managing your money during a pandemic was produced by Lauren Marco. Coming up tomorrow, doing virtually anything these days is different and challenging. So what does it mean to sing together in the age of COVID-19? We'll hear from the Washington Chorus and the Children of the Gospel Choir on how they've adapted both practice and performance to virtual and physically distant settings and how they're finding joy this holiday season in spite of it all. It all starts at noon tomorrow. Until then... Thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nand. The Kojo Nandi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Granin, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardiner, Richard Cunningham, and Inez Renike. Our managing producer is Ingelisa Schropsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Mike Kitt. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.